Well, good morning, Southcrest. How's everybody doing? Is it good? How was Christmas? Just enough food to put you in a cloudy funk. So we're going to try and wake you up today. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, God's got something for you. Yell it. God's got something for you. I want you to yell at your other neighbor and say, God's got something for you to hear. Now, I said this last time, and this is the second time I get to preach in big church, so that's a win. But I told you all last time that I'm a very, you got to be reacting with me. So if I say, are you with me? I need you to say, I'm with Ian. So are you with me? All right, I'm going to ask that throughout the time, so don't let it sneak up on you. But if you don't know me, and this is your first time here, I'm the high school pastor, and I love students because I'm a big, overgrown student. So I enjoy it. I love it. I love nothing more than spending time with students and preaching God's Word. It is a joy to me. And if you don't know me very well, this lovely lady in the white, if you want to stand up, this is my fiance. I'm getting married in three months, so that's a win. Amen. In fact, if you ever want to know like, that God's grace exists, let me know. We'll send you a selfie. And people are like, how did he get her? Like, that's, I get that often. And so when I got a girl that was so much better than me, my old pastor would say that I outpunted my coverage, right? And you're like, how do you do that? I found somebody that was not only beautiful, but that also was incredibly patient and full of grace with me. And that's a random, I'm, I'm funny sometimes when I'm on stage, but I'm a bear to be with and a bear to be in a relationship with. And so one time, this is very recently, this is within the last couple months, one time I lost my cell phone. And Fridays are genuinely my, genuinely, uh, my day off. And so I get ready, and I'm, I'm going to go to a football game a little bit later, but Hannah and I spent the day hanging out, talking, watching movies, you know, getting to know each other, hanging out, cuddling, everything that we can you know, do, just have fun. And then I look at the clock, and we start a movie, and I go, oh, no. Like, it just dawns on me. we got 30 minutes to get to a football game across town. And so I'm in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. She's fine. I run to my room, slam the door, put on jeans and a t-shirt and another shirt. And I get ready to run. And all of a sudden I realize I can't find my phone. And I flip out. And I'm sitting there going, where is my phone? And I start, you know, have you ever been there? Like where you're tearing through everything. Like I'm picking up the toilet seat and the commode and I'm opening up the freezer. And I'm like, I don't even know why it would be here, but I'm pulling around and I'm looking. And Hannah's just calmly washing dishes and helping me clean up some stuff that I didn't clean up because I'm a pig. So she's going through all of that looking. And I said, Hannah, where's my phone? I start getting really testy with her. And she goes, she says, Ian, have you called it? I said, yes, I've called it. I've had your phone the whole time and it's not ringing. It must be dead. And she goes, maybe it's not dead. I'm like, it has to be. She goes, could it be on vibrate? No, maybe. And you just walk, I mean, what do you say at that point? Like, I'm an idiot. And so she goes, it could be on vibrate. I'm like, well, maybe, yeah. And she goes, well, then just calm down for two seconds and listen and call because you might hear it. Fine. And I'm waiting for her to be wrong because the battery's out and I'm always right. So I hit it and I look up. And we sit there for a second, and I hear, I'm sitting there going, I I can't pretend I don't hear it, because at this point, she's there. And so she looks at me, and I'm like, I I don't know, is it there? And she goes, Ian. And I I turn around, and I look, and it's on the couch arm that I've been sitting on all day. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. So I get up and look at it and feel like a goober. Now, how many of y'all have ever been there? Have you ever lost something? And yeah, the other half of you are liars. So if you've ever lost something, 
where you sit there and go, I cannot find this. You turn over hotel rooms, houses, you turn everything over. Like you don't even go underneath your house, but for some reason you're on an excavation run in the crawl space going, it could, could, could be here. And then before you realize it, you look and your phone is in your hand or your phone is in the kitchen or it's somewhere that you could find it. Now, I would say, and I believe because God's been taking me through this journey in the last little while, that we do the exact same thing with God. We make noise and commotion and garbage trying to hear God's voice saying, he couldn't be in the everyday, I need him in the one day. We look at God and say, I need your one day, but the everyday, there's no way. Why? Because we don't look in the obvious places because obviously it couldn't be there. And we've already seen that. We've mentally imaged it. We don't have to look through. But I believe that most of us stand making commotion and frustration and we're angry and we go, I just need to hear from you, God, please. And I believe that God looks at us and says, I'm already speaking to you, but are you listening to me? And so today, I think it needs to be simple because we're all jacked up on uh, tryptophan from Turkey and we don't know what's going on and we've eaten too much and I need a very simple message for me because I believe simplicity is deep but that also gives me hope that a simple person like me could be deep so we're just going to go with it and assume that it's true but here's what I want to tell you today and I want to challenge you with this stop looking for God and start listening to God stop looking for God and start listening to God I love I grew up uh, and got a history degree in college and I loved history not because like you could study the big events, but I loved how it affected people in the, in the short run. I loved how the day-to-day affected people. Like the Battle of the Bulge was cool, but li- reading memoirs from soldiers who were in the Battle of the Bulge, I loved that because I began to see how every day shapes a soldier, not just an event. And it's the same thing with us. And I believe that today, and this is why I love the Bible, because one of the reasons you said the Bible couldn't be true, well, in ancient literature, when you were writing about your kings and your prophets and your deities, they were perfect and there was never a blemish? No, the Bible says they're screwed up. And you get to see these big heroes of God be ginormous jerks and be idiots. And I love it because it gives hope to a guy like me who maybe could do something great for God despite my own problems, me tripping my up on my own feet. And so we're gonna look at a guy named Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, if you have a phone, I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I need to give you a little bit of context. A prophet in Israel, Elijah is one of the most famous prophets that existed. And in Israel, God would say, I need you to go and tell the people of Israel, like millions of people, that they, well, sometimes he says that they're playing the whore. Sometimes he says, you're just going to get judged. Sometimes you got to say things people don't like because you got to speak the truth of God. And if you're wrong, you get stoned. I don't feel like this is the job I want. And so, like, we live in the world of spell check, right? You're like, I, didn't, I thought I knew how to spell hello. Like, and, and, like, if you get something wrong as a prophet and you mishear from God, bad news bears, right? And you are stoned and you're gone. So Elijah lives in this crew, but then it turns out that the nation of Israel has a king named Ahab and a wife named Jezebel. You may not, I don't know if you've ever been in church and heard Jezebel, but you probably heard somebody go, that girl's the Jezebel, right? And you get the Z snap and you're out. This is where it's from, just FYI. It's okay, you can laugh. We can go with it. I'm a fast talker, but you can roll with me. Are you with me? So Jezebel has decided that, uh, because Ahab doesn't wear the pants in the kingdom, Jezebel does, and she has said, I want to worship Baal, the false god. And Elijah goes, no, the real god's not too happy about that. And in 2 Kings 18, Elijah has, and I will sum it up quickly, they set up a huge altar to Baal and a huge altar to God, And Elijah stands with 400 prophets of Baal and says, how about we have a little wager? If God comes down and takes you out, 
or takes out your sacrifice, the veil comes down, no big deal. I'll leave. But if God takes mine out, I'm going to kill you. And they go, oh, no, no problem, no problem. So they're cutting themselves, dancing. If you read it, he actually at one point says, maybe your God's on the toilet and he can't hear you. Like this is, he's taunting. And he goes, no, just keep going. Just keep cutting yourself. Just keep, you know, doing your rain dance. And he keeps pushing them. And he's laughing. Then he goes, all right, boys, back up. And he says, God, fire. And God's fire comes down so bright, so hot, so burning, it creates a crater in the ground. It consumes not only his sacrifice, but bales. It wipes out rocks. This melts rocks. And it sucks up all the water that they poured over it during a famine. And then the prophets of Baal obviously run, and he slaughters 400 prophets of Baal. Elijah saw God move in a massive way. And most of us would say, if I can just get to a walk to Emmaus or to a beach camp or to something big, if I could just get to that special season in my life, then maybe God, maybe God would speak to me and it would change everything. And we think that, but then we read about Elijah because right after that in chapter 19 and in verse 1, it says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me what you did to my prophets if I don't kill you by tomorrow afternoon. And Elijah, who just called down stinking fire from heaven and opened it up, goes, oh no. And he runs. He goes directly south in Israel instead of going north where he was supposed to go. And he disobeys God and what he's called him to do and says, I'm getting out of here. He gets to the point where he dismisses his servant, meaning he thought his life was over. And he lays under a broom tree and goes, just kill me. I'm done. Here's what I believe. I believe that Satan's greatest tool for us is to isolate us when we feel lonely. To pull us away and to beat us up against the ropes. And some of you here today may feel like God won't speak to me. I don't know what to do. He speaks to them. We begin to isolate ourselves and we begin to say, who am I that God would even speak to me? And Elijah had found himself caught in that trap. And so we find Elijah not left alone by God, but God provides him food and tells him, you know, Elijah, if you're going to go south, I need you to go to Mount Horeb for 40 days and 40 nights. The truth is dry seasons with us usually last far longer than we'd ever expect them. And there are times when God says, I need to take you to a very dry place before I can show you what refreshment looks like. And he does that with Elijah. And so let's pick up in 1 Kings 19. Read with me. I read loudly. I yell. And let's just roll with it. Because Elijah at this point had met the one problem, the one person who loved Baal as much as he loved Yahweh, the one person who would attack him as much as he would attack for God. And he doesn't know what to do. So let's pick up in verse 9. It says this. And there he, meaning Elijah, came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, Elijah, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. What does this say about us? It says that when we focus uh, focus on ourselves, we will lose sight of God. When we take our sights off of who God is and we begin to look at ourselves, we begin to lose who God is and look at ourselves and say, it's all about me. In fact, if you don't know what the term pride means, pride doesn't mean you think you're better than everyone. Pride actually is when you flip the coin, is insecurity as well. Why? Because it says it's all about me. A great definition for it is to say that pride 
is us turned in on ourselves. And Elijah had gotten to the point at, at this time where he believed that calling down fire from heaven was him. He, be, he believed he was not the stock boy anymore. He was the manager. And he said, God, I don't know. I'm the only one left. Right? I mean, like we've been there. God, my phone is gone. Right? And we don't know what to do. And my, my kids are like this. My friends are like this. My family's like this. And we get angry. And we say, God, I'm just withdrawing. Just take my life. It's not worth it. And Elijah finds himself going, just take my life because it's not worth it. And he says, I'm the only one that has done anything to you. Let me tell you this. God can use us when we're prideful, but he won't transform us until we're humble. And it wasn't enough for God to let Elijah keep calling down fire from heaven. God wanted to do a great work and transform who he was. And so God took him to the point of humility so that he could transform his heart to do his work. He may have even expected on Mount Carmel, like we do at a beach camp or a big event, that as soon as this happens, like he's like, Jezebel's going to give up, right? We go and like you repent from 20 sins when you go to some big event. You're like, God, I'm just giving you my life. I'm done with this. And then three weeks later, you're going, I can't stop. And you don't know what to do. And when we struggle with this, this up and down and up and down, and Elijah expects that it's over, but then all of a sudden that happens and bam, Jezebel is right back on his heels and he doesn't know what to do. This is what I believe that God is trying to tell Elijah, that God is speaking, but are we listening? God is speaking, but are we listening? Read with me in verse 11. It says, and he said, meaning God, I want you to go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold... There came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Are you with me? I want you to think about this picture with me for a second. Elijah, 40 days and 40 nights removed from where he should be. He's in a cave. God looks at him and God says, all right, I need you to step out and listen to me. Now, I don't know. I lived at the end of Tornado Alley. I don't know if y'all ever did. But if, I don't know if you've heard. Have you ever heard a tornado coming? Has anybody ever heard that? Yeah, we got a few. It is the scariest sound I've ever heard in my life. It sounds like a freight train is driving right towards you. And you begin to feel the wind in a circular wind. And God brought a tornado. You think F5's a bit. It's like F40. It is pulling boulders off of the mountain. It is ripping the mountain apart. And God says, Elijah, stand in the mouth of the cave and listen. And just like us in the commotion and in the struggle and in the garbage, we're saying, I can imagine Elijah getting wind and dust kicked in his face going, I can't just speak. But God wasn't in it. And then God says, all right, let me bring an earthquake. And the same God that Job says measures the waters and the seas in the palm of his hand, he begins to shake the bedrock underneath this mountain and shake it at its heart and at its core. And I can imagine Elijah fearing for his life in the cave. Cave is cracking, dust on his face, screaming but trying to stand and shaking legs and going, I just can't hear. And he's waiting and this is happening and it's it's shaking, shaking, shaking. Stop. But God's not in the earthquake. And then God says, let me bring a fire. 
and he brings the fire and just consumes the mountain. Not a bonfire, not your little barbecue soiree fire pit. Like you light that you know, junk up and you're like, oh, look, I've created fire, right? And it's this big and it's kind of like this tall. And you're like, oh yeah, I built in a teepee formation, right? No, this is a roaring, nasty, Asheville consuming fire and you can just feel the roar and Elijah is you can see him at the cave sweating and hot and dusty and dust still flying in and ash covering his face and he is nasty by the end of this and Elijah is sitting here going I can't hear and he's trying to wipe it off his face and then it all stops and God's not in the fire did God cause it yes but is he in it no and he stops and he says Elijah and still and in the quiet We mar and muck ourselves up to the point that God has to set us down just like I did with the phone. Could it be on vibrate? No, maybe. And we stop and God says, I need you to listen to me in the quiet because just because you've seen me work in the fire, because you see me do great things at beach camp, because you see me do great things at your big event, I don't speak in the every day, or I don't speak in the one day all the time. I speak in the every day in between. And God says, Elijah, I'm not speaking through this stuff like this anymore. I'm changing who I am, and you need to not put me in a box and know that I want to speak to you every day, not just one day. Because faith means that I believe God, especially when I don't see him. Here's what he's telling, that our trust increases when we follow God's calling and not our vision. There was no possible way goob like me could find cell phone. I ran. I couldn't see it. I didn't know where it was. How dare I look for it? And I couldn't find it. But what happens? I had to trust the one who told me, calm down, settle down, and listen. And I believe that God does that with us. I believe that God's doing that with Elijah. Read with me in verse 14. And he said, I have been very jealous. Elijah just doesn't get it after God asked him. He says, I'm... Of course, I don't get it most of the time either. So he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. But what's God's response? Verse 15. And the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive You shall anoint Hazael, king of Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And he says this. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here's what God's saying. He's saying, do what God's asked and the results are his. You see, Elijah knew exactly what he should have been doing. He should have been in the north, but he went to the south. He should have been listening to and doing what God had told him to do, not trying to find God speaking in a new way. I think that most of us struggle, me included, because we don't really want to do what God's asked us to do. And so we go and try to find something new to do. Oh, maybe I missed something. And God's saying, no, Elijah, here's what I need you to do. I need you to focus on your legacy, not your current reality. Focus on your legacy, not your current reality. All Elijah could see was himself. But I believe that our greatest obstacles are our greatest chance for ministry. God's plan for Elijah wasn't to make him the center of Israel and the center of attention like Elijah wanted. 
It was to anoint and raise up faithful followers. I don't believe that God's calling us to change anybody else. I believe that he's calling us to change ourselves. To say, God, I need to fix me before I can do anything with you. And, we, and God says, I just, I want to help you. I want to take you to the dry place. I want to work in you. I want to do something new. But we focus so much on the Jezebels we can't move that we don't even have the chance or the opportunity or the desire to hear what God's saying. God says, listen, it's the same thing that Jesus told us in Luke 16. You saw the prophets. You saw the fire. You saw all the great things God did. But when you left, it didn't convince you. And sometimes it requires us to scratch our knee while God protects us from the back, pushing us through a problem than it does for God eliminating one for us to walk through. And I believe God loves us too much to not grow us and change us and shape us. And so how does it apply to us? How many times do we hear, and I know this sounds frustrating and you're going to go, and you don't know. I don't speak on my authority, I speak on God's. I speak on the word of God. Because if it was on my authority, we'd just go home and we'd listen to Caleb and Trey play more worship, honestly. But I want you to think for a second. Some of us, and I'm a student pastor, I work with your students, I hear so many times, I need you to fix why my, my students won't go to life group. I need you to fix why they're not going to go over here. I need you to fix, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. They're, ah, they're so frustrating. And I know that, trust me, I love them. But I spend a lot of time with them. But sometimes I look and I want to ask the question, maybe God's telling you that I'm going to work on your child because you can't change them, but I need you to model the same life for them and make the same priorities that you ask them to make now. Some of us say, my boss is a jerk. I'm sure that he is. But is God teaching you how to submit to those in authority over you? Because if you can't learn to do that, you'll never submit to him the way he's called you to. Maybe we say the rules that I'm under frustrate me. And God says, I know, but I'm trying to protect you. You just can't see it. But trust what you can't see. Trust me. Some of us say, and I've heard this often, and I know that I'm not married yet, but some of us say, my spouse is awful and I might have married the wrong person. But I can tell you from God's word, you didn't marry the wrong person. God knew. It comes down to a a sovereignty issue. If you married someone, that's the one God's put you with. And here's the truth. Maybe God is allowing them to expose garbage in you that you need to fix. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, you need to look at your own life and be able to say, all right, God, fine. I'm not going to try and change them. I just know that I'm learning to love them the way that you love me unconditionally. So many times we get caught by the problems that hit us and push us back. And we say, God, just give me another event. And I believe that God is looking at us and saying, you don't need to find me in the annual time. You don't need to find me one time a year, the one day. Find me every day. Stay in my word. Listen to me. Actually care to reach out to me. Maybe God is speaking through the ordinary, everyday garbage. Why? Because we just celebrated Christmas And when the God of all creation came down, none of the neighbors knew that Jesus was Jesus. They didn't know it was God. He told some filthy shepherds, and two years later, a bunch of wise men came and saw him. Nobody knew. Because God isn't concerned with making a spectacle of you. God's concerned with changing you from the inside out. God is concerned with doing what he did for Elijah when he said, Elijah... You complain that there are no followers. You say that you're all alone. Then go out and make followers. Anoint these kings that will be in power. Find Elisha and train him up as a prophet. But I love it that God looks at him and I can see God laughing going, come on, man. He says, I've got 7,000. 
thousand people that have never worshiped Baal and I will take care of you and I'll bring them behind you. And Elijah, I don't even know if he ever did it. Scripture doesn't tell us if he was faithful. But my call and my question to you is, what will you do now? Will we say that's a good word or will we say, I hate you? Or will we say, I disagree? Or will we say, I need to fix this and not do it? Or will we step up and do the nitty gritty in the everyday and do what God has called us to do? I'm not saying that parenting's easy or marriage is easy or working for bosses that are frustrating is easy. What I'm telling you is that God wouldn't bring you up against something that was hard unless he was shaping you from the side and putting tension on you. And I believe that my God has built us with great purpose and the God of his word has told us that I love you too much to leave you the way that you are. And so as you bow your heads with me for just a second, not because it's magical, not because it makes it more awkward. My challenge to you is to stop looking for God and start listening to him. Here's my first question. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Ian, I've done a lot of events. I've gone to a lot of places. I've made a lot of awkward commitments or a lot of big shows. But honestly, I have never given my life to Jesus Christ and said, God, I'm sinful. I need you to save me. Please give me, give me salvation. Forgive me my sin and I will follow you for the rest of my life. You're the boss for eternity. Some of us have never actually made the decision We've just cried and walked an aisle. And if you're here today and you say, Ian, I've never actually given my life to Jesus, let me tell you the truth. There is a real place called hell. And God wants to not only restore your here and now, but he doesn't want to lose you for eternity. And if you're here, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth that God's word says that we are gone and broken and lost without Jesus. And that he loved us so much that he came and paid our price so that you could be forgiven and so that you could live for the rest of eternity in bliss with him and that you could have purpose now. And if that's you and you say, Ian, I've never given my life to Christ, I wanna ask you to do something. Maybe it's brave, maybe it's courageous, maybe it's just long overdue. But if that's you, I would love to see you raise your hand for me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you say, I have never given my life to Jesus, just raise your hand. Now there's another group I want to talk to for just a second. How many of you here today would say, Ian, I feel you, I understand. I struggle and I'm frustrated and I have a hard, hard time just listening to God every day. And I keep wanting another shot, another shot, another shot, another event. I need something more. But God is telling me, and I can hear it so clearly, that God is telling me to stop looking and start listening. If you're struggling, you say, you know, I just need you to pray for me because I, I need to pay attention to my every day. I want you to raise your hands. Those that have your hands raised, I want you to do me one more step. If you can, could you just stand up and look at me? If you want to, you can look around as well because here's the truth. Elijah felt isolated and alone. You're not alone. Every one of us struggles. Every one of us have an issue. Every one of us, God says, you can't, if you feel alone, Satan will take you against the ropes. And here's the truth. I want to pray over you. I want us to pray together. If, you have your, if you're sitting down, I just want you to begin to pray for the people that are standing around you because God has something incredible he wants to do in you and through you. So let's pray. Father, 
God, I thank you so much that, Lord, just like Elijah, that, God, you don't want to leave us alone and that, Father, sometimes we have to go to dry places and we have to look through the toilet and the freezer and everywhere for our phone and you've got to take us to the point that we feel utterly at our end to tell us that all the while it was right there. And so, God, I don't know every need in this audience, but God, I thank you that we have people that were honest enough to say, I need to be able to listen to God in the everyday to be faithful every day, not just for the one day. And so, Father, I pray that now, I pray all those around us, that we would rally around them in prayer. I pray that those standing would hear from you in the most basic, normal, not exciting way ever, not because we don't want to be excited, but God, because you have so much to say in our every day. And so, Father, I pray that children and their homes would be changed. I pray that parents' hearts would be changed. I pray that spouses would begin to see their spouse like you look at us, God, not like we look at ourselves. Father, I pray that whether it's work or whatever the situation may be, that you would bring great clarity, but God, that you would bring up a heart in your people that is faithful, that is faithful Father, to change, to seek you every day. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.